welcome back to the Urbanist Agenda, the podcast that thinks cars are a bit too expensive. I'm joined today by my co-host. <laughs> All right, I'm transit. Yeah, that was my understatement of the year. Really? Yeah. So I'm here with Reese because we have been talking a little bit about how expensive cars are and how people don't seem to realize how expensive cars are. Now, Reese and I have both lived car-free for a long time. Have you ever owned a car, actually, Reese? Yeah, definitely. Where I grew up, near Vancouver, but notably yep. not in Vancouver. Right. You really couldn't get around without a car. Like there weren't sidewalks on the streets. Like it was a rural almost. And so I had a car like when I was 16, 17, when I got my driver's license. Right. It was funny because I took transit to high school and then I got a car and then I took the car to high school. So I've owned a car probably like five years of my existence. So I have some experience in this matter. Wow. You drove a car to high school. That's amazing. Even I walked to high school. I was lucky enough. Well, to be honest, a new neighborhood was being built near my high school. Uh, my parents bought a house in it specifically because it was close to the high school, because otherwise I would need to be driven. And I suppose then I would have driven myself when I was 16. I couldn't even tell you how long it would have taken to walk to my high school because it was like out of walking range and cycling would be hypothetically possible, but it would be probably two hours. So I don't know if you would have lived through that either. No, no. It was like a heavily trafficked street that had a lot of trucks on it. Of course, there was no bike lane because there was no sidewalk. <laughs> and so a fatality was likely. I mean, honestly, the roads were dangerous enough that I almost got killed in the car a few times. So, oh, I mean, that's a whole other issue. I really don't like the idea of 16 year olds driving around all the time. It just seems like a terrible idea to me, but that's a separate issue altogether. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, we want to talk about the price of cars because I did a podcast a couple episodes ago with my wife about how we've been now 10 years without a car. So we've owned a car. Well, I had my parents' car when I was living at home. I borrowed it for when I was living in some other cities during some internships in university. But I owned my own car twice, and both times it was because I couldn't get to work without it. So once sure. was in Toronto for two years and once was in Belgium for two years. So sure. I've owned my own car for four years, I guess, out of my adult life. And yeah, actually, that's not very long now, now that I no, think about it, which is probably just as well. And I did mention this in the podcast with Mrs. NJB, that we've saved just an absolute shitload of money by not owning a car in those years. And it's shocking. But every single time that I talk about this online, I inevitably get these people that come out of the woodwork and say, I bought a used Toyota for $400 25 years ago, and I've done nothing but change the tires <laughs> every single time. And that always makes me think two things. First of all, no, you didn't. There, it's definitely more than that. There's no freaking way. But second of all, even if that is true, which it almost certainly isn't, that is really, really, really big outlier because that is not the norm by the vast majority of people. No, I mean, I spend most of my time in Toronto still these days, and it's good to see that some people have kept a very old car running. It's obviously much better for the environment. But of course. the vast majority of the cars you see driving on the road, like the vast, vast majority, it's got to be over 95% are probably built in like the last five to 10 years. And I think that that's, you know, a lot of the crappier cars, five to 10 years to 10 years, especially is kind of their lifespan. So yeah. having a car that lasts that long is like the definition of survivorship bias. Like, oh, wow, you're the one guy who got a car to last that long. Right. But that is just not the case for most people. And if you haven't changed your oil, like you're asking for your engine to light on fire or something like 
there's not a real situation that can be extrapolated to other people. No. And so when I've gone looking for the real situation, it is inevitably always way, way higher. And I really don't think that people appreciate just how expensive cars are. I think there's just so many little costs over the years <laughs> that you never kind of add them all up. But when you do, and we will get to that actually of somebody who did, but first, I want to talk about this article that you came across in the National Post of all places. It says Canadians estimated to pay over $1,300 a month to own a car, report finds. So first of all, like context, National Post is a right-wing newspaper in Canada. I wouldn't say like hard right, but they're right-wing. They are also very pro-car and yeah. anti-bike lane, anti-public transit, that kind of thing. And so for them to say this, you know, okay, they're probably not embellishing much. $1,300 a month is a lot of money. Yeah, that comes out to six. Well, they actually said the actual number that was rounded was $1,387 a month for the average car in Canada, which comes out to $16,644 per year. And I say to people like, would you like to have an extra like over 10 grand in your pocket? Because like, Think about how much salary that has to be, too, at a typical mm -hmm. tax rate. That's like getting a, I don't know, a $20,000 raise if you just give up your car. No, definitely. And kind of like for a long time, I've believed that this obviously isn't universally applicable. The classic disclaimers you have to say every time you say something obvious. But for a lot of people who live in a kind of suburban location with a car, they could at the very least, afford to live in a more pleasant urban location if they right. just got rid of their car. Right. And then there would be all the associated benefits and probably cost savings of that. Because for $1,300 a month, assuming you're not going to live in a big house and you're moving to an apartment, like even in expensive cities in Canada, that can get you a lot. Like 1300 alone, sadly, can't get you much, but 1300 more than what you're paying. No, but an extra 1300 yeah. on top of what you're already paying, yeah. Absolutely. And the thing is, in suburbia, people often don't just own one car, right? Like no. the husband needs one, the wife needs one, maybe they need to get one even for their teenage kids, kids right? To yeah. drive to high school. Even if you could just move a place where you could live with just one car, right? Yeah, if you could go from two to one, even that is a massive improvement, right? Yeah. And I think that I probably won't say this later. So it's worth thinking about that when you own a car, it's not just the car. It's all of the other things that the car enables that are expensive, you know, shopping. Like I can imagine there are a lot of people who go on crazy shopping trips and like a car that gives you tons of space to like load up with flat screen TVs and expensive <laughs> furniture. It's an enabler of spending a lot of money on other things beyond all of the usual stuff. I spend quite a lot of money online, though, so I'm not sure if I would spend more or less without a car. Probably more, but I think I, <laughs> I get enough stuff delivered as it is without having a car there to tempt me. Yeah, I think that there is a risk of that at the very least. And yeah, yeah, when you own multiple cars, the amount of incidental costs, which we can kind of touch on, they go through the roof. I mean, with cars, my personal belief in why these kind of cost numbers, they're good as baselines, but they're not going to be representative. What's so bad about cars is that you don't ever really know how much it's going to cost you to own it because, yeah. you know, your fuel economy goes up and down based on the condition of your car and the cost of fuel constantly changes. And, you know, someone might scratch your car or run into your car and you have to think about insurance. And hey, like now you have to make a calculation. Do I want to use insurance for this or do I want to use an out-of-pocket oh, cost. Oh, man, you are bringing back bad memories for me. There's all of these <laughs> layers of potential incidental costs, licensing fees, and 
polls, which all of these things are so random, you know, it's almost impossible to predict like, oh, I decided to drive on a different street one day and now I have a new cost I didn't predict. Yeah. And so I think tracking the cost of a car is enormously difficult. And that's, you know, kind of to the car industry's benefit because it keeps the costs superfluous, hard to wrap your head around. What are you actually paying? It's very hard to remember because there's so much stuff. Well, it is interesting that you mentioned that because I remember when we did own a car and I mentioned also in the podcast that when we first moved back to Toronto with kids, my parents insisted that we borrow one of their cars. And I was like, we really don't need it. But they have two cars. Of course they do because they're in suburbia. And if they need to go somewhere separately, they need to have two cars. So I said, no, no, we can live with our Two cars for a couple of months in the winter. You guys need it. You absolutely need to have it. And I remember that it was just chaos because of random fees. Like I remember my wife took it out once and ran over a nail and got a flat tire. Okay. Well, tires are not cheap. (laughs) Tires are not. Yeah, we got it repaired. But, you know, you got to get it towed. And then that was suddenly okay. That's really expensive. Great. Thanks. That's just what I needed suddenly when... You know, we're talking about we just moved to the country. We didn't have a whole lot of money to spare. And now suddenly there's several hundred dollars for this flat tire. Another time, there was some problem with the car. Nobody knows what it was, but we tried to turn it on. It wouldn't work. It just showed some weird error on the screen. It was a Sunday, so nothing was open. No mechanics could deal with it because these days all these cars need these special computers, right, that the dealership has. So, yeah, we had to just get it towed to our house. And then on Monday, I needed to skip work in the morning to get it towed to the dealership. The dealership took a look at it all day, couldn't figure out what was wrong with it, plugged it in the machine, rebooted the computer, and it works. Still to this day, nobody knows what was wrong with the car. That cost us $800. Yeah. So I'm like, yay, great. I just got $800 because my car's computer's on the fritz. I mean, I think in the last year, I spent $800 on public transit. Yeah, the whole entire year, right? Yeah, I think you've highlighted something that I always associate with cars, which is that it kind of gets you into this economy of grifters, which is that you have to deal with, oh, yeah, like a tow truck. Those are all like a lot of them are run by independent people who just own their tow truck and they're going to try to scam you. And then you have to get the thing fixed. You have to deal with the dealership or a private repair place. They're going to try to scam you. When you're trying to buy the car or sell the car, you know, someone's going to try to pull a fast one on you. And so you just have to be like mentally always ready to battle with people and kind of argue and fight with them just to break even and to pay the cost that you think you should be paying, which is already high. Yeah. The number of times I've had to argue with tow truck drivers about the price of towing is just and then you got to what call around and stuff. But it's in the middle of winter and you're like stuck somewhere. What are you going to do? You're going to start negotiating with people on the phone. Well, this guy said that and that guy. I mean, come. and this is in four years, four years of driving like regularly. I know. Right. And it was just so ridiculous. Like even the cars that I owned, I bought new cars. I had a smart four two. And then in Brussels, I had a Toyota Igo. They don't sell it in North America, but it's like smaller right. than a Yaris. They don't sell the Yaris in North America. Oh, they don't anymore, anymore eh? <laughs> They used to. I know they used to because my brother-in-law used to own one. It's brutal. Like in North America in particular, outside of like a Volkswagen Golf, which is a bigger car than it used to be, there's like no small cars. They're all gone now. You have to buy a crossover. That is true. Like just the size of the cars has increased, which I've talked about multiple times before, including on not just bikes, of course. But the side effect of that is you're just paying more. Or the vehicle now. There's just more stuff, more steel. That's the big part of the reason why the car companies were pushing those bigger vehicles in the first place. And fuel and insurance. Everything has gone up. Yes. Fun. That's just great. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, now you have a bigger box to lug around and still move pretty much the same amount of stuff. And that's an unpleasant thing to think about. Yeah, I mean, it is true. Oh, those random fees that suddenly pop up all the time with driving were a real pain in the ass, to be honest. And this is before you even think about like parking and the things that are just regular run-of-the-mill costs that you have to eat. When I did have a car, and this was years ago, so the prices have certainly gone up. I mean, insurance was something like four or $5,000 a year. Fuel was a couple hundred bucks a month. Like, those are enormous costs, as you already said. Like, if you could get rid of those costs, it would be like getting a massive raise. And especially in times of inflation and in times of, like, cost of living crisis, people should reconsider whether they really do need to have one, two, three, four cars it could be a really life-changing thing. Yeah, the trick is, of course, is that the vast majority, certainly of Canada, is suburban. I was just looking up some statistics for a video collab I was working on, and it was 75% of Canadians, I believe it was, live in a suburban area that can be considered car-dependent. It's the vast majority of people. And so I think, like, for example, my parents actually have downgraded to one car now. My dad Downgrade. is driving himself a lot less. But it's difficult for them sometimes, right? Like, for the most part, they tend to travel together. But there are times when my mom's going to go to an event somewhere. My dad wants to go with his friends somewhere. And, you know, one of them has to take a taxi. Now, they've decided that that's okay for them now. But they're retired, of course, right? Yeah. It's difficult if you've got two people in the family who work. And yeah, what are you going to do? In a lot of these places in Canada, it's just not possible to downgrade from two cars to one. No. Certainly from two cars to zero is out of the question. It isn't. And at the same time, it definitely contributes to why urban areas are so expensive because right. the people who do want to make the decision to drop everything have some more money in their pocket and they can bid up the prices of housing and we don't allow more housing to be constructed so often. And so you kind of trade one issue for another. Though I'd argue that Given the likelihood of death from driving, that's still a trade-off I'd be willing to make. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's a whole other cost. <laughs> the number of people who are killed by cars every year. And not just killed, injured, injured. too, yeah. right? Injured. And sometimes seriously, like I know, God, I know so many people who have either been killed by cars in a car or injured too. But I was thinking, for example, a very minor injury that we had a friend who was sitting in a car in the passenger seat at a red light and somebody rear-ended them, mm. probably looking at their phone or something, and rear-ended them. Very minor collision, you know, basically bumpers were damaged, but she got whiplash, and she dealt with that for years and years. She had to miss work for many months at a time, just from being bumped from behind by a driver, right? Much less hit at high speed. Exactly, right? That is about as minor as you can get, and what is the cost of that to her? And I mean, when you think about it, like, I'm just thinking about growing up in suburbia, I can't think of a single person, like adult in my family, who had a car that they regularly drove that didn't get in a, some sort of pretty significant accident at some point. And almost never their own fault, but they still had to deal with the cost of, as you kind of mentioned before, you've got to go to a dealership and everything, which is amplified when the car has like been shredded into yeah, right? multiple pieces. But then, you know, physiotherapy and the health impacts and insurance covers something, but you always have to pay a little more for a deductible, et cetera. And then your insurance becomes more expensive. So yeah. you get punished for being injured. It's yes. horrible. 
Well, I mean, there's also the time cost of all of this stuff, too. Like I said, I had to skip work because of this tow truck thing a couple of times, actually. Every time there's a problem with the car, I have to take a day off work, right? And at least in Canada, we have our health care covered. Heaven forbid if you were somewhere that didn't. But it's ludicrous that there are all these extra costs that come in, time costs as well as health costs and then more money costs that just revolve around cars in general that aren't specifically tied to the car. We're just eating it. We're just eating those costs as individuals and as a society. And we're just like, oh, well, there's no other choice. What can we do? It's painful. And the thing that I kind of remember is almost like a PTSD is that when you own a car too, it's like having a kid or something that you have like, something that's sitting around out there in the world yep. at any time that you're responsible for. So if there's a horrible storm, you know, your car might be damaged, your car can be stolen, I can be damaged just sitting parked somewhere, and you always have to be thinking about it. Yeah, whenever we have windstorms, you see the pictures of trees that have fallen on people's cars. Yeah. They're just flattened now. Okay, they're write-offs, now what? Yeah, so there's all these costs, and mentally you're just always thinking about it because when you, as we kind of talk, when you sink tens of thousands of dollars into something, you're going to naturally be kind of anxious about that. And so you kind of always have this thought of, oh, my car, you're out for an event or a dinner or something. And you're thinking, oh, like, do I need to move my car? Is the parking paid? Is it going to get stolen if it's parked there? Do I need to worry about the stuff in the car being stolen? Yeah, is something going to get broken There's into? Just so <laughs> much mental weight. And as you say, like that's a time cost. It's a health cost for you that you don't even think about when you're talking about the direct cost of this, but they're all very real costs. They are, and that's never considered at all. Nobody ever considers that. Nobody even considers the actual cost. Like going back to this National Post article, they mm-hmm. even mention that people don't even think about depreciation. Which is funny because like depreciation, when you say depreciation, it's like car. Oh, well, that's this kind of abstract thing that the car is worth now. That's just the cost of buying it, though, right? Like depreciation just means you had to pay for it and you're going to sell it. And there's a difference between what you bought it for and what you sold it for. That's just not taking into account the actual cost of the vehicle. And I get it because almost everybody these days takes a car loan. That's the other trick. And I know John Oliver made a fantastic video about this. I think it's eight years ago now, seven years ago, car loans, yeah, Hmm. and how like they are very much like the mortgages that caused the 2008 financial crisis, but worse, they're just very dodgy, (laughs) and they're just waiting to burst, waiting to fall over, because a lot of people just have no choice, right? Mm -hmm. When I talk about like 75% of Canadians live somewhere that could be considered suburban, and the vast majority of those places are car dependent, you don't have a choice, right? This isn't a choice to buy a car, of course you're going to buy a car. And then it's issue of like, well, how are you going to pay for that car? And the vast majority of people get car loans. And so they pay their car payments. They have their interest payments on that that people also don't consider. So that's what they think is the cost of their car. But then they don't think about that depreciation because at the end of the day, you're going to have to sell that car. Maybe they're going to say, oh, I'm going to run it into the ground. Maybe. I don't know. How often does that happen? Because your new car transitions from new car without problems to used car with a ton of potential problems. And that's, again, one of those things where suddenly, boom, your transmission needs to be changed. And, oh, that's thousands of dollars now. I mean, already it's the case with a lot of sort of modern cars like post-2000s that you kind of already highlighted earlier. But now that cars have so much electronics in them, that stuff just is so prone to breaking because, you know, cars get wet, they get salt on them, stuff works its way in, and you've got like a million different pieces of electronics that are controlling everything, and all of it can break. The windows, the mirrors, 
the defrosters, the lights, all of these things are liable to break and will break. And the cars that we are building are only more, you know, electrified in every way. And that stuff is very liable to break over time. And so cars in a lot of ways have probably become less reliable. And as you say that, you know, people are taking loans for this. And when you combine the loan and the depreciation, People are kind of like terrified of the idea of being underwater on a mortgage, which if people aren't familiar with what that means, it means that you have a loan that is more expensive than the value of the asset that the loan is secured against. And that's like every car loan because your car, if you get a new car on a loan, you have X price. And the second you start driving it, it drops by 20, 30, 40%. So now you have this huge loan that if you were to have the car repossessed or something, it wouldn't be covered and you just have debt hanging over your head. Yeah. I mean, I have known some people who sell a car and get a new car with a new car loan and are still paying off the the old old car? car loan from the car they sold. That's just a stupid thing to do. But I've known quite a few people who have done it. And there's a lot of people who get trapped in that kind of situation. Of course. Well, they are horrendously expensive, right? Like these are horrendously expensive things. And they just get more and more expensive. Because one of the things I remember when I was reading for the context of a video about safety, I was reading about these backup cameras that all of the cars have these days. And they're mandated now. Interesting. Because car companies love any regulations that require them to put something else in that they can charge for. So they love stuff like backup cameras because they're like, great, we can put more stuff in. It's another feature and we can like mark it up and people are forced to buy it because there's a regulation saying it's necessary. Whereas if there's regulations around, for example, the hood height or the design of the hood so that they are safer in pedestrian collisions, they're like, no, 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 we don't want that. They always love the regulations that allow them to sell more shit to people. And so you don't just pay that price once. Like, I'm pretty sure if your backup camera breaks, you think like, oh, a camera. Like a camera in 2024, that's $20, $30. Like that's what it costs. But there's no way in hell a backup camera, if you have to get your backup camera on a car replaced, you're paying that much money. Like that's going to be hundreds of dollars. Oh, it's going to be a module, right? Because you can't just replace the camera. You got to do the whole module. The whole back of the car comes off and you got to put this thing. And that's tons of money and it's time. And so you get fleeced like in layers and layers. Like it's not just the initial car. It's everything that comes afterwards. And I think that's why people miss, like we have these costs for owning a car. You think that the price is like, just the car, gas, and insurance, and it's not. It's like a million other things that just come up randomly and are impossible to remember, but it just hits you in your wallet every time. You know what, though? It's such a ridiculous conversation. I don't even like talking about it with people, certainly not online, because online is just trash to begin with in comments. But I remember when the TTC monthly pass went up to, I think it went up to $130 a month, and people were like, oh, it's cheaper to drive now. And I'm like, on what freaking planet? is a month $130 cheaper to drive. But that kind of comment is so common. People are like, oh, it's cheaper to drive. I might as well just drive. They're not thinking about even a fraction. The only cost that anyone ever thinks about is gas. That is about the sum total that people think about when they think about the price of driving. For sure. What's really interesting is what that highlights. And I I find that incredibly frustrating too. Like, oh yeah, the transit fare is $6 now. So somehow driving has become cheaper. They're not even thinking of it <laughs> like I'm going to be driving my car less. It's like a marginal $130 for driving, like adding 130 to the cost of driving would be like whatever. Like that's just a regular month. So for them, it's like, oh, well, like 
I could just not pay 130 and drive a bunch more. And I mean, driving already costs hundreds a month. So it's so minor, but it's on a different planet from the cost of using public transit. And honestly, for me, as I kind of said earlier, you know, $800 a year is probably more than I spend on public transit. Because if you live in a walkable place, you don't need to use public transit unless you're going somewhere that's quite far away. Like, yeah. you, know, you can get on a bike if you need to go within your local zone, and most trips can be made on foot. So the cost is even lower than just using public transit every day for a month. Yeah. And I remember we've used car share quite a lot. I actually used car share today for the first time in several months and found that the car share company that I was using has now left Amsterdam. <laughs> so that's interesting. Great. So I had to go to the other one. But I've had people say like, oh, these car shares are so expensive. And I'm, first of all, it's because you're seeing a per trip cost of what it actually costs to drive a car yeah. that people never, ever, ever, ever think about. But I remember when my wife and I used car share in Toronto, we would just use it whenever we needed it. We didn't even think about it. We didn't even think about the cost. And maybe it was $20 for a trip. Maybe it was $50 for a trip. We would take it for whole weekends because we knew that no matter how much we use that car share, because we weren't using it to go to work and back, as that was always the thing I said, if you don't need a car to go to work, you don't need a car. So we would just use the car share whatever because we knew Whatever that bill was at the end of the month was going to be a fraction of what it would have cost to own a car. So we consider that we've got some money that would have gone to car ownership if we had bought a car. And that is like the maximum of the transportation costs we're willing to spend. And even just using car share willy nilly without even thinking about it, it was still a fraction, an absolute fraction of what it would have cost to own a car. And I mean, as you've highlighted in videos before, car share is really practical for other reasons. Like, yeah, if I do want to go to Ikea, I don't have to try to throw a drawer or a chest of drawers into the back of my sedan. I can just get a van for that one day. Yes. Or if I'm going to go somewhere that is like a small town that doesn't have transit, I could just get like a small car. You don't have to commit to a single car that's inevitably not going to work in every circumstance. Yeah, this is something that my wife and I talked about in a previous podcast episode. That was one of our favorite things. And she says it this way, that when people would say, what kind of car do you have? And she would say, we have a fleet. Yeah, it's beautiful. Because there's like a fleet of cars available and you can choose exactly that. So if I was going to Home Depot to buy some stuff, I'd get the cargo van. And I remember the story that I've told people so many times is that I was at Home Depot bringing out a bunch of wood for a construction project I was doing, loading it into my cargo van that I got from AutoShare. And a couple of parking spots down was this guy with his giant SUV who was having a hell of a time trying to fit this wood into his SUV. And I'm sitting there watching this like I had no issues. I was putting sheets of plywood in this cargo van because it fit a full sheet of plywood comfortably in the back. That's what it's built to do. And I'm watching this guy with his huge SUV and I was thinking, this guy drives around in this huge SUV all the time. Every time it's just him driving to work, he is burning huge amounts of gas to move this massive amount of steel every time for every trip, every day. And then he comes to Home Depot and his shit doesn't even fit. Yeah, and, and I mean, like, he's probably like, oh, I don't want to scratch the seats with this piece of wood, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's like people always say, oh, I need a big truck. What if I have to do this or that? I'm like, come on. Well, that's the thing, right? Is that rental vans are just so available. I remember a family member was getting a giant massage chair a few years ago. Okay. And like, who has a car that can fit a giant massage chair? So we just got like a U-Haul van and it was super beat up, which was perfect because we're using it to actually move crap. Yes. So we just throw the thing in the back, not really throw because it was like thousands of pounds. <laughs> and then we just took it in the van and 
no regular car is going to fit that. And I don't have to worry about damaging a vehicle that now I have to go pay some scam artist to fix at a dealership. It's just nice. It's nice to have something that isn't your problem too. Once you get rid of it, it's like yeah. parked in their spot. It's like not my problem anymore. I don't have to worry if some idiot drives into it or if someone tries to steal it. Yeah, once I've punched out of that app, it is no longer my responsibility. If someone exactly. plows into the back of it, I'm like, well, that sucks for the car share company. Yeah, I mean, being able to separate out the responsibility and use the thing when it is actually useful, which you realize is in very, you know, kind of irregular circumstances, once you actually only have it in those circumstances. Like, I think that's the same thing with the person saying transit's gotten too expensive is once you own the car, you do get locked into a bit of a cycle because, yeah, like if you're not using it, then you're really screwed. Like you're spending all this money that you have to spend whether you drive the car or not. You have to insure it. You have to maintain it. So you're encouraged to drive it. But the more you drive it, the more your costs increase. And so just owning it, having it around is a giant cost. And the only yeah. way to get rid of it is to not have a fuel. Well, yeah, that's one of the tricks. There's a huge amount of sunk cost in a car. And you're absolutely right. Once you have a car, then you start using it all the time. And we noticed this for sure. When we owned a car, we would do all this driving and stuff. I think I mentioned it in another podcast with my wife, or maybe I can't remember which ones we've talked about on podcasts or not. But I remember, for example, when we got the smart car the first time, we used to use it to go buy groceries all the time. Whereas it used to be that we would walk to buy groceries or very commonly Toronto downtown didn't have a lot of grocery stores at the time. Yeah. So what I used to do was get on a streetcar to a large yeah. grocery store, Loblaws down on Sherburn Street. Oh, Sherburn, okay. Sherburn Street, yeah, because I take King. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I'd buy my groceries and take a taxi because there used to be like a line of taxis outside of the grocery store. So then we would take the taxi home. So three car like, out, taxi home. And it was actually very cheap and a perfectly reasonable way to get groceries. But once we had the car, we would always drive to do it. Yeah. And it's just a cost that didn't exist that the car induced, right? Like it is another thing that having that there just encourages you to not only spend more money or do things differently, but also just be lazy. Like yes. if you live or lived in a suburban area, you'll be familiar with the kind of ridiculousness of like, oh, You're with your friends and you need to walk like, you know, like five minutes in one direction. And everyone jumps in their car because they're like, well, that's the natural way of getting to any location is to get in my car. And so not only is it the direct cost and all of that, but then you drive everywhere You use it endlessly. That puts more kilometers and depreciation and gas cost and insurance cost, all for things that you could just be doing on foot and that would be healthier and would save you money and would make your life better probably because I mean like could talk about the fact that driving when you do a lot of it like you spend a lot of time doing it that's just hours you're not getting back and when you talk about time costs like that is a huge time cost of driving is that you cannot do anything while you're driving people do and it's a big problem (laughs) that is a problem please don't do things while you're driving (laughs) have you seen there's like people already wearing the apple vision pro behind the wheel car oh my good god no I have not. Oh my. This is a thing. It's been posted online a lot. And I mean, it's shocking for me already when I just go for a walk and I look at people driving their cars and they have their phones out. And it's always a good reminder that if like a cyclist goes through a stop sign when there's no vehicles or people around, that's like a terrible offense against the law. Oh, yeah. They should absolutely be thrown in jail forever. Yeah. Drivers <laughs> just 
casually, constantly break the law, and there's no repercussions for that at all. Well, Though when there is yeah. a repercussion, that's another cost that you didn't predict. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the cost can go on and on and on. And one of the things that always comes up again, as I talked about earlier, is people say, well, yeah, 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 but I have a used car, right? And I think with used cars, again, there's this habit of just absolutely no concept at all of the cost that they're paying because people think, oh, I bought a used car, I bought it in cash, and that was it. And then I got some gas, I guess. And that was the cost of my car, and it's nothing. So I love this video that I came across a few months ago by Humane Cities, and I'll link to it in the description. It's definitely worth checking out. This is a guy who lives in Calgary, Alberta, if I remember correctly. And he owned a car for eight years. He's recently sold his car. But what was interesting about that is that he decided to keep every single receipt. He just put it in the console in the middle of the seat there. And he just stuffed all his receipts in there. And when he sold his car at the end of eight years, he took out all those receipts. And one of the caveats he said is that some of the receipts are missing. In particular, he said Petro-Canada seems to always be out of receipt paper. So this number is lower than the actual cost, but he had a windshield repair. It was a used car built by Toyota. Like, I really think this is as low as you could possibly get a used car. Yeah. And in eight years, it cost him $40,217.96, which comes out to $5,027 per year. I honestly think that is the absolute lowest you could have a car ownership be. Basically, yeah. I mean, when you kind of talk about any cheaper and like say, hey, this guy didn't replace his windshield. Okay, so you are spending less. So your risk of death when there's a car accident that inevitably happens is higher. Like you can't go lower than that safely. No, and you could get a cheaper used car. I forget what he paid for it. But, you know, Toyotas and Japanese cars generally have a higher resale value because they're more reliable. So you could buy a cheaper car, but then it's going to be less reliable. And then those costs are going to come. I honestly, like, again, this is understated because he knows he doesn't have every single receipt. But I just don't think that anybody that tells me that they've spent less than this, I just do not believe them. I don't think that it's a reasonable number. I think they're just not counting something. Yeah. And I mean, think of all the other things that you could do with just 5000 a year, but over those years, $40,000, right? Like you could go on a vacation to Amsterdam. <laughs> you could do so many things that would improve your life instead of owning this thing that ultimately is sucking the money out of your pocket. And at the end of the day, when you have to get rid of it, you're selling it on to someone else or you're just trashing it and destroying the planet when you take this giant expensive hunk of metal and reduce it to zero value. And it's crazy. Or if you were to invest this, for example, imagine the potential investment return that someone could make if they were just taking a bike instead, living in somewhere that they could actually get around without a car, or if this is an additional car, how much they could save by just using the car they have more efficiently. Yeah. Yeah. It just annoys me so much how people do not think about these costs. And I think it's just one of these things where the cost of public transit is kind of just more in your face because you're paying mm -hmm. that fee every month. You're getting that pass. Maybe now that public transit, a lot of public transit is now, you know, you tap your credit card, you tap your debit card and go. Maybe that's going to abstract things a little bit more and that people aren't going to think so much about each one of those costs. And then if they do tally it up 
at the end of the year, and they did tally up a car at the end of the year, the difference will be very, very obvious. And I mean, I think that I like the bringing up what the cost that hits you in your face is because, I mean, I think that's why car loans are so popular now, as you've said, because cars themselves have become incredibly expensive. Like not only because they're all bigger now, even what sedans and actual cars do remain. I remember when I was like, I don't know, 14, 15, looking online at, hey, like how much does a car cost? And there was a decent number of new cars, very basic ones you could buy for less than 20,000 Canadian dollars. And now, I mean, people are taking these car loans on for hundreds of dollars a month. You know, cars they're buying are 40, 50, 60, $70,000 easily. Like all of those F-150s people love to drive so much. That's at least a $40,000 car new. And so all of these costs that we're talking about dramatically undercount the actual cost that I think an average person is probably taking on, right? Like this is the best case scenario and it's already enormous. Well, I see here that as of June 2023, I just did a quick Google, the average price of a new car in Canada was $66,288. So that means that you're going to add like if eight years of car ownership for a used car is 40,000, you must add at least 20,000 to that over the span of, you know, eight years in a new car. So you're talking about probably around $100,000 to have a car for less than 10 years. Yeah. That's an enormous amount of money. That's the down payment on an apartment in a walkable place. Yeah. I mean, and again, the real problem that comes up with all of this is that there just aren't enough walkable places. Like, no, there just for fundamentally sure. aren't enough walkable places. There's so many people. I mean, you think about the Toronto area where the yeah. housing crisis is just absolutely insane how bad the housing crisis is. Certainly much worse than most developed nations. And there's that phrase that, I mean, I don't know how common this phrase is outside of Canada, to be honest, where people say drive till you qualify, right? Yeah, where sure. basically you keep driving until you get to a place that's far enough away that you can qualify for a mortgage. And when you think about drive till you qualify, there's people I know who have driven till they qualify and now they're driving an hour and a half each way to go to work. Oh, I mean, in the Toronto area now, I mean, I think the realistic drive till you qualify time, if we're talking about a house that costs as much as it would have a couple decades ago, it's like four hours away. Like, I know people that live in Kingston. Oh, damn. Everything they do is in Toronto. Kingston. That's insane. Okay, so I clearly have not lived in Toronto in a while because when I was knowing my friends moving to crazy places where they drove till they could qualify, it was around sort of Barrie distance. So yeah. Kingston is insane. That is yeah. hours and hours and hours and hours That's away. That's across the Netherlands, right? Like, I mean, yes, it literally is. <laughs> That's to Belgium, well, basically. This I'm is guessing. one of these things where Dutch people are like, oh, you never talk about the housing crisis. I'm like, well, it's really difficult to talk about the housing crisis here because it is bad. But it's so much worse in Canada because I'm like, you're complaining that you can't live in Amsterdam and you need to live just outside of Amsterdam. I'm talking about you would work in Amsterdam and you have to live in Germany. Like, that's <laughs> what I'm talking about here. It's just a totally different level. And it's not like there's a train. No, I know, right? There's <laughs> a train to Kingston. Yes. It's bad. It's bad. Like, it's not a commutable train. No, it's a via rail train, right? Yeah, at least with Amsterdam, you know, like, you could live in Rotterdam, frankly. Like, if you had a Canadian acceptance of commute distance, like, in terms yeah. of time. I mean, you can live in Eindhoven, for Christ's yeah, sake. Yeah, you can travel extremely long distances by rail. It's much faster than driving. So you can live much further away, but no one would need to. No. Which is kind of the wonderful thing. 
Yeah, although, boy, they really need to build more houses in both countries. <laughs> I mean, boats. You guys just, some boats, more boats. You got <laughs> like, a lot of water. You have no idea how slow boats are. <laughs> but again, like, this is the problem, is that when people have to drive till they qualify, and the only stuff being built is suburban and exurban places, exurban being suburban places that aren't connected to anything. They're just a neighborhood out in the middle of nowhere, for anyone not familiar with that term. Because there's quite a lot of exurban neighborhoods in Ontario these days, where it's literally just like some developer bought a plot of land off a farmer, stuck a neighborhood down. It's like not even in a city, or it's technically in a city if the city limits are this extremely exaggerated limit. So people are living in these exurban areas. You literally can't do anything without a car. And I mean, I think that this kind of gets into that idea of lock-in. Like when you buy a home like that, now you haven't just bought the home, but you've bought yourself the need to own a car for as long as you live there. And that's where you get into talking about car dependency because you buy the big house and now you need a car. And But hey, you have a big garage, so maybe you should get another car. Like there are layers to it. And once you have all of this crap, then it becomes way harder to get rid of it. Like it's a real challenge. And so people kind of get trapped in places and in these lifestyles because, well, it is theoretically possible, as I've said a bunch of times, to go get a cheaper urban place. You've got all of this stuff. It's going to be a nightmare. And then you get trapped and then you have to continue to buy expensive cars for the rest of your life. Yeah, and as we've talked about here, people really do have an issue. I know people my age, our kids are now becoming teenagers, and I know people who have kids who are becoming teenagers, and this is something people do not think about. Teenagers will need to get around. Mm -hmm. They have to get to school and back, but they also have a whole bunch of activities and other things, and you're going to have to shuttle them around by car too, which is going to be extremely time-consuming and stressful to do as a parent, And eventually, you're going to have to buy your teenager a car. And that's going to be a third car and a fourth car in the family. And I have seen this time and time and time again. People who live in suburban car-dependent areas, they need to buy cars for their kids. And that opens up a whole other realm of problems, cost being like the smallest one, to be honest. Because (laughs) 16-year-olds all driving around all the time is not a good thing at all for anybody anywhere near them. It was funny growing up because I could count myself a pretty responsible person and I wasn't really the type to go out partying and stuff. But like when you give a bunch of high schoolers cars, the amount of incredibly dangerous things they do and frankly, just insane things they do. Yeah, I remember that too from being a teenager. I had a friend who lived outside of the city and he would drive in. He did the dumbest shit. He crashed his Jeep. Like, The amount of people in my high school... I have to say, like, probably 5% of people in my high school totaled a car in their time in high school. I think that's accurate. Yeah, I think it was the same for me. That's almost dying. 5% of the people, it's huge costs. And yeah, it's very scary. And it's, again, just another cost that doesn't get factored in. And I mean, the biggest cost of all is the fact that we have to pay for all of the infrastructure and the parking everywhere. All that free parking's there. They're not paying for it. It's just there. Somebody paid for it. Somebody maintains it. We all just kind of pay for it, right? And it's funny because like we talked about the National Post and it's always kind of like a right-wing perspective that supports car orientation, but it's a tax on everything. Like you want to open a store, but you have to construct a parking lot or a giant parkade and it just changes the calculus for everything. Or you need to ship everything in your car and all of your customers need to own one to get to your store. It is a painful, regressive tax 
on the most basic of human needs, which is the need to get around a place. And so imagine the brakes it puts on an economy and look at the places in the world where the economies are growing the fastest. And I would say they're typically a lot less car dependent than North America. You know, it's interesting, the National Post being so conservative, because the other thing is they're always worried about taxes and finance and all this other kind of thing that are in the conservative sphere. But this is just such a blind spot. That whole cost of cars is such a huge blind spot for people like this. And that's one of the things I really respected about Chuck from Strong Towns, who is very much a conservative. I'm not a fan of his politics, but I like him. He's a good guy. And I like that he is at least consistent with this. Yeah. Like he is concerned with small government and with low taxes and all of these other conservative things. But he also looks at this and says, yeah, this is insane, by the way. We're basically subsidizing this massive industry. We're paying all of this money that nobody can afford. We're taking on all of this debt as cities so that we can have these wide roads, wide stroves, big free parking lots for everybody. And that's insane. And at least he comes in there and says, no, guys, like, aren't we conservatives here? Like, shouldn't we care about this? Like, this is the opposite of conserving anything by any definition of the word conservative. This is the opposite of that. But it's, again, just this huge blind spot. And I mean, I think that the thing that's funny is that in the whole discourse around cars is that they are not trending in a better direction at all. No, absolutely opposite. Right? Like, it's not like the car industry is kind of self-aware about things and is like, okay, yeah, like, cars are a huge problem. Like, so we've got to make them smaller and lighter. We've got to add all kinds of pedestrian friendliness features to them. Car companies are electrifying, but they're not electrifying and making the cars smaller or even keeping the cars the same size. They're no. enlarging the cars as they electrify, which brings all of these other problems with it. And so you can't even act like the car industry or kind of promoters of automobiles are doing any of this in good faith because nothing has moved in the direction of small or functional. Everything is about bombast and about having more fashion. It's like cars are fashion for people these days, as Ram Warlock owners will know. It's funny because you got one of those. And I was like, that thing is so out there. But now walking around, I've seen so many of those. And yeah. it's just remarkable. Like there's no way that the person in like the sleek modern house needs to have like a pickup truck. They're clearly not working in the trades or anything like that. So why do they have a Ram Warlock parked in their front driveway. And you just realize that so much of it is fashion. And I think that's a big reason that we have this whole SUV craze is that it's meant to offset the fact that rational people have realized that owning cars is bad and that like they should downsize if they do own a car. And so the car industry has needed to find a way of continuing to sell vehicles. And the only way is to make it fashion, is to make it something that you might be economically rational, you might be just rational about not wanting to die, but you're a loser if you don't own a giant SUV. And so that's where we're at now. Well, it becomes part of their identity, right? Yeah. Like I remember when I rented that Warlock with the red leather seats, there's no way in hell anybody is using this for work when it is red leather seats. That vehicle, I believe the list price of it was between eighty dollars to $90,000 for it. And it was a piece of garbage. It was an absolute piece of garbage. Yeah. It drove like shit. It looked like shit. <laughs> Everything in it was cheap as hell and plasticky, but it's pitched as, well, a fashion thing, an identity thing, right? Like I had a low opinion of these suburbanites that drove trucks before I rented that thing, but I have an even lower opinion of them after I rented that thing. Because like you would get in and test drive 
before you buy, right? If you've test drove this thing and then said, yes, I am going to drop 80 grand on this, you're an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's not much more to say about it besides that. And then this is, to be honest, this is only the standard warlock. It's not someone who's like lifted it and put all the giant stupid... Like, is that a thing that really... I know that it probably exists very marginally, but in cities in North America, you see trucks like that. That is not the case in Europe, right? No, we have seen the Dodge Rams in particular coming in, and I need to do a video about it someday because they're using basically an EU safety loophole in order to import them, and that's a company doing Dodge Rams in particular. Sure. So you are seeing those around, but they are stock. They are not lifted. They're not like, you know, twice the height that they normally are. I believe those would be very illegal here. Yeah, I mean, it's always shocked me they're not illegal in Canada. I completely agree. It's insane when you see these lifted pickup trucks. I'm like, why is this here? No, and I mean, people put these rams on the front of them that will like cut a human being in half. They do the thing where they roll coal or whatever, which I think is illegal, but because drivers don't have to follow the law, you know, the laws are not really enforced for drivers. we have a previous podcast about that one that you and I talked about. Yeah, they're (laughs) able to do that. I mean... It is crazy. And of course, we should add that all of those things cost a lot of money as well. So it's funny to think about what the average cost for a driver must be, because for them to say the average cost is 1300 a month, I mean, I don't even know if I believe that. Like, that can't include, like, capital costs, like the actual car itself. That's just, like, the cost of operation or... Well, no, they say that that includes depreciation, and they say it's parking, gas, insurance, maintenance fees. I mean, it seems optimistic to me. Well, and it very well could be. You know, this is the National Post and all. And like we were saying, where they have this huge blind spot for cars, I loved the end of this article, where they have a quote here that talks about, like, I need to go to work. How do I get there? I need to visit friends. How do I get there? You could still own a car in a 15-minute city, and for those trips to other cities, visit your aunt or to go on trips, weekends, you'd still use the car. You can't live a full and rewarding life without having the flexibility provided by the automobile. That is the way they end this article. I guess my life is much more miserable than I realize. <laughs> what I find remarkable about this, and I think this is something that, I mean, in general, I think people don't think enough about this when they're like, oh, urbanism's good, etc., You should not believe that the vested existing interests actually are pushing for the right things. Like this person that made this quote is from a school of planning. Yeah, so who made this quote was Clarence Woudsma, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, associate professor and director of the University of Waterloo's, that's the school I went to, school of planning. This is an associate professor. Now, okay, almost anybody can be an associate professor. Sorry, Mike, I know you're an associate professor and you might be listening to this, but come on, you know it. And the director of the University of Waterloo School of Planning, director of the School of Planning puts this note in here, which just shows how blind Canadians are to this. Like the reason why this person thinks this is because the cities have been built the way they've been built, right? But the thing that's so scary is that they're going to continue that because... The good thing is that the young people who I meet who are actually studying don't have these insane views. But it is crazy that the person teaching them may have these insane views. And, you know, this person is going to have weight in their community. They're going to be able to push things in the wrong direction. And so it just sort of shows you that we're not there yet. Because if people like this in positions of power are still saying who can only be described as the insane things, then we're not there. No. And this is a person who should know about things like, for example, car share. This should be a thing that this person, of all people, should be aware of that is an option. This is an insane thing to say. It's not a rational thing to say, like, to spread FUD about, you know, like, oh, if you don't have a car, 
you won't be able to see grandma. What will grandma do without you? It's bonkers. So this is the thing. We've built these cities that force people to drive. We've built these cities where people, even directors of freaking planning, think you can't live a full and rewarding life without having the flexibility provided by the automobile. And then the cost just keeps going up and up and up and up. And nobody has any choice. They got to pay it. You got to do it. You have no choice. You've gone drive till you qualify in order to buy a house that's out in the middle of nowhere. And this is it. This is your only choice. And we're just not building enough urban places to absorb everybody, to let them live in places where they wouldn't need this ball and chain attached to them at all times. That is a very good way of describing it. Yeah. So I don't know how much more there is to say on this. I think we should probably cap it there, to be honest, because it's just so frustrating. Yeah. And when I read that that quote was by the director of the School of Planning, I was just like, Dear Lord. I mean, if anyone listening to this goes to one of this professor's classes, you should bring that up. You should say, like, uh, why? Yeah, you should say to him, like, what the hell is this, dude? Like, are you crazy? Do you not understand? Like, yeah. Like, I think that's the only way. Well, unsurprisingly, if this is the director of planning, then we know who planned these cities that put these people in this car trap in the first place, right? I mean, this is where we are. So anyway, thanks so much for coming on again, Reese. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we'll chat again in another episode in the future, I'm sure of it. So thanks a lot. Make sure if you're listening, check out RM Transit on Nebula or on YouTube, where Reese talks about all kinds of things related to public transit. But never cars. (laughs) (laughs) And not just bikes, where I do sometimes talk about cars, but not very often. Yes. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. That's all we have on the agenda for today. I hope you enjoyed listening to it almost as much as we enjoyed making it. I really enjoy talking to other content creators about what they find interesting. And a lot of the people I have on this podcast I met since joining Nebula. Nebula is the subscription streaming service created by and for educational content creators and the people who love their content. Nebula has all sorts of educational content from videos to podcasts to classes by your favorite creators, as well as Nebula Originals, which are high budget productions. Honestly, Nebula is such a great platform and I'm so happy for my content to be available there. If you use our special link, which is nebula.tv agenda, you'll get a discount off an annual membership, which comes to only $30 a year, which I think is a fantastic deal. So check out Nebula at nebula.tv agenda and see if there's something of interest to you. At the very least, you'll be able to hear every episode of The Urbanist Agenda a little bit earlier than everyone else so you can get the inside scoop on what we're plotting and scheming. Thanks again for listening and maybe next time you'll be listening on Nebula. <laughs>